Hi, everyone, and welcome again to Chapel Hill. Uh, We're so glad that you can join us in person today, including those of you who are joining us online. We are in the book of Revelation for our series, More Than Conquerors. And the book of Revelation is really not just about information about the future. Its goal is about formation in the present. The book of Revelation will capture our imagination for the vision of the kingdom of God in order to shape our lives in the present. And that's why vision boards is such a popular thing. The idea of a vision board is to display things that you want to be or become, things that you want to bring to life, so to speak. And the idea of a vision board is that you are to look at your vision board each day, and that's meant to help you, motivate you to pursue those things on your board every single day. Whether you like vision boards or not, we know that visualization works. Olympic athletes have been using it for decades to improve their performance, But the book of Revelation gives us not a vision of the best version of ourselves, but a vision of Jesus Christ to shape us to not to live for our own little kingdoms, but to live for the great kingdom of God. And that is exactly how God motivates the seven churches in Revelation to remain faithful to him. It's through visions of their future victory in Christ. So let's start with a quick historical background about the seven churches. Here's a map of the seven churches again. The seven churches are located in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. The letters to the churches, they're ordered in a way that you would actually travel to all those cities in those times. So you would start in Ephesus, being a, a port city, Then you'll move up to Smyrna, and then you'll make your way to the rest of the cities in a U-shaped. Now, the question is, why does God have a special message, a specific revelation for those specific seven churches? The big issue in Asia Minor was that the imperial cult started in Asia Minor. The imperial cult was worshipping the Roman Empire. It's worshipping Caesar as God. And there were actually temples to a deified Caesar in each of those seven churches. The temple was mixed with all sorts of uh, pagan worship and including membership to local guilds like modern-day business associations involved participation in the imperial cult. And so the imperial cult impacted the churches in two ways, either seduction or persecution. The seven churches were either seduced to conform to their culture and idolize Caesar, or if the churches were defiant against the imperial cult, they were cruelly persecuted. And so God had a specific message to those seven churches to help them to specifically defy seduction of the imperial cult and to not give up the faith in the face of persecution. But as we know, the book of Revelation is symbolic, with the number seven symbolizing completeness and fullness. 
And so the seven letters were also written to the whole church across all of history. And so the general message that we can take from these seven letters is that churches reflect their cities. Churches reflect their cities. The culture and the idols in our city also impacts us in two ways, either in seduction or in persecution. Like the seven churches, we too can be seduced to conform to our worldly culture. And we too can also be persecuted by our culture. We could do each letter as a separate sermon, but we'll go through them in two groups, chapter 2 and chapter 3, because there's this common issue of seduction and persecution that goes across all seven letters. And you also notice, as Jen read out the passage, there's a common structure to the letters. Each letter starts with a vision of Jesus' character. Then there's a statement of praise or rebuke in evaluating the church. Then there's a command, which is usually repent. And it ends with a promise of future victory. How Jesus motivates the churches to tackle the issue of seduction and persecution is through the vision of Jesus' character and a promise of future victory. In other words, these letters are like a vision board. Instead of pasting images of personal success, inner happiness, or material things, the images are visions of Jesus' character. And the pictures are the future victory in Christ when the churches remain faithful. So today in Revelation 2, we're going to examine the letters to the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, and Theatira. And we'll use the letter structure to see how each message to each church acts as a vision board to motivate the church to remain faithful to Jesus. I won't have all the passages on the screen, so I encourage you to have your Bible or Bible app open to Revelation chapter 2 to follow along. Okay, so the first letter is to the church in Ephesus. The letter starts with a vision of Jesus' character. Verse 1, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars represents Jesus holding onto the church's protection, and Jesus walks among the seven uh, lampstands, which represents the church, represents Jesus is present among the churches. And so it is Jesus' presence. That is the key characteristic that Jesus wants to impress on the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church, they receive a mixed evaluation. They praise for their deeds, their hard work, their perseverance, as well as holding on to sound doctrine and rejecting false teaching. But what they lacked was love. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The Ephesian church has all the correct head knowledge about God, but all that knowledge did not translate into 
having hearts that were passionate in loving God and loving others. The Ephesian church is commanded to repent of their loveless hearts. And if they don't repent, then God threatens to remove them from his presence. If they do repent, however, then God gives them this wonderful promise. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. If they repent and love faithfully, then they will be victorious and they can eat from the tree of life in the new heavens and the new earth. The tree of life is symbolic of an abundant, sinless life in the presence of God. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life, which God commanded them not to eat, they were kicked out of God's presence in Genesis. But through salvation in Christ, we can return to God's presence. And so the vision board to the church in Ephesus to motivate them to love God and to love others is the presence of God. Let the presence of Jesus amongst the church now and the presence of God in the future paradise be the motivation, be the inspiration for them to love like Christ. And so this is a word for us today. This letter speaks about how we can know a lot of theology about God and yet be very far away from God. Just because you know a lot about God, know a lot about the Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean you have an intimate relationship with God. Do you feel like the, this letter to the Ephesian church is a word directed to you today? Do you pride yourself in your biblical and theological knowledge, but you have a prickly personality? Maybe you're quite short-tempered or a bit cold, factual, but heartless, would that be an accurate description of you? May the presence of Jesus' presence motivate you to love. May the vision of Jesus' intimacy now and the victory of God's presence in the future shape you, form you, change you to love like Jesus. The next letter is the letter to the church in Smyrna. And the vision of Jesus' character given to the church in Smyrna is verse 8. These are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came back to life again. The description characterizes Jesus' eternal life. Jesus rose from the dead to live and rule eternally. And so Jesus' eternal life is the key characteristic that Jesus wants to impress on the church in Smyrna. And Smyrna isn't given a rebuke, but an encouragement. Smyrna faced serious persecution, including death. And the source of their persecution was the Jewish community. The Jews, they've been trying to get Christians in trouble by claiming that the church was not a Jewish sect, but a non-Jewish group. And if so, the Roman government would require that they show political loyalty to the government through participating in the imperial cult. And if they refuse, they could be executed for treason. And so God commands them to not be afraid. And in verse 10, 
Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. God commands them to remain faithful in the face of persecution, even to the point of death. And God promises them eternal life as their victorious crown. Being victorious doesn't mean escaping persecution, but being faithful through suffering. And so the vision board to the church in Smyrna to motivate them to not be afraid and remain faithful is eternal life in Jesus. Let Jesus' resurrection life now and the victory of eternal life in the future be the motivation for them to remain faithful. And this is a word for us today. The letter to Smyrna teaches us to not fear. When we are given a hard time, when we are slandered, when we are disadvantaged for living out the Christian faith, we can respond by saying, look, who cares? All they can do is kill me. Really, what is the worst that someone can do to you The worst is what Paul says, to live is to Christ and to die is gain. You want to kill me over this promotion? You want to kill me for doing the right thing? You want to kill me for holding on to my Christian beliefs? Go ahead, because I will win. I will receive the victor's crown. Are you a fearful person? Is your life shaped by the approval and acceptance of another? Then may the eternal life of Jesus motivate you to not be afraid. May the vision of Jesus' resurrection now and the victory of eternal life in the future form you, shape you, change you to be fearless, even fearless towards death. The third letter is to the church in Pergamon. The vision of Jesus' character given to Pergamon is verse 12. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. The double-edged sword refers to the word of God. Jesus is the word of God that penetrates our hearts. Jesus commends the church for being faithful witness in the city that Jesus describes as where Satan has his throne. And this is because Pergamon was a city filled with pagan temples dominated by a massive altar to Zeus on a hill above the city. Yet the church no longer faced direct persecution. They now faced a new threat, a threat within. And Jesus rebukes the church for tolerating those within the church who were following the teaching from a false god, Balaam, and for following false teaching from the Nicolaitan, which this false teaching led to idolatry and sexual perversion. And Jesus commands them to repent, verse 16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give also that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. 
The church in Pergamon was seduced to indulge in the pleasures offered by the pagan culture around them. The church in Pergamon was seduced to idolatry and sexual perversion. And Jesus commands them to repent, to turn from their idolatry and perversion. And if they do, Jesus promises them hidden manna, which represents spiritual food, the bread of life. Jesus says, whoever feasts on him as the word of God shall not perish. Jesus also promises a white stone as a symbol of purity. He also promises a new name known by God. And Jesus promises that the only prestige that matters is to be personally known by God. And so the vision board for the church of Pergamum to motivate them to repent of idolatry and perversion is to nourish on and feast on the word of God. Pergamon are to let the vision of Jesus as the bread of life and the victory of God's word to make them pure and holy in the future be the motivation for them to abide in the word of God. Again, this is a word for us today. We too are in the danger of allowing compromise to creep into our lives. We are tempted to say things like, where is the harm in it? Hey, look, everyone else is doing it. How can we tell as a church that we are compromising on the truth of God's word? Well, it's when the distinction between the church and the world becomes blurry. We start to look no different to the world around us. Is this letter speaking to you? Are you a person who deeply desires to fit in? Do you turn a blind eye to the word of God in order to fit in? And doing so, are you morally compromised? Then may the Jesus as the word of God motivate you to flee from idolatry and perversion. May the vision of Jesus as the double-edged sword and the victory of God's word to make you completely pure and holy in the future, may that form you, shape you, change you to abide in the word of God. Lastly, the fourth letter is the church in Thyatira. The vision of Jesus' character given to Thyatira is verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet like burnished bronze. Jesus is the Son of God who has eyes that can search out our hearts. He sees the inner motives of our hearts. And so it's Jesus' penetrating perception that is the key characteristic that Jesus wants to impress on the church at Thyatira. Jesus praises Thyatira for their loving deeds and service, unlike Ephesus, which lacked love. But Thyatira was like Pergamon for tolerating false teaching, particularly a false teacher named Jezebel who led believers also into idolatry and perversion. And Jesus gave Jezebel a chance to repent, but she didn't. And as a consequence, Jesus deals with her, punishes her, in order to protect the church. Jesus always wins. Jesus commands the church to not to follow her false teaching, and he will know if anyone does, because he says he searches hearts and minds. 
And for those who remain faithful, he promises them this in verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus promises victory to rule with him as he brings final justice to this world. Jesus also promises to give the morning star, which is himself, his rule. What this is saying is that at the end of the day, Jesus always wins. He's the truth and the light. He will expose our hidden sins, and he will bring it all to justice. But if Thyatira remains in Jesus, remains in his truth and light, then they too will also win with Jesus in the end. This is also a word for us today. There's nothing that we can hide from Jesus. He sees our hearts and he sees our minds. His eyes are like blazing fire. Jesus sees everything. And that should really unsettle you. But before you judge him for knowing and judging your own private life, think about this. Knowing everything that he knows about you, knowing everything that has been done to you, knowing everything that has been done against you, everything that you would commit and in every way someone's sin would affect you, he loved you anyway. He chose to come to earth anyway. He came and lived the perfect life anyway. He died for you anyway, and he rose victoriously anyway, and he invites you and I to faith anyway. He chose to take upon his life all the hell that we would unleash into this world so that we might un- he might unleash heaven in and through us. That is some really good news, really good news. Friends, do you see that we do not conquer in this world through falling into seduction or falling out by persecution? We conquer by faithfulness to Jesus. So the question for you today is, where are you at with faithfulness? Where are you unfaithful to Jesus? Ask yourself, am I like the Ephesian church? Do I love the Bible? just not anyone else? Or are you like the church in Smyrna? Are you just feeling the pressure to give up on Jesus? Or do you feel like the church in Pergamon? Have you been seduced into idolatry and perversion? Or do you feel exposed like the church in Thyatira, that your private life is telling an entirely different story to your public life? Are you deeply entrenched in hidden sin? Well, Jesus is inviting you today to come and repent, to come back to him and turn around to him and be empowered to change by the vision of who he is and by the promise of victory that he graciously graciously gives. Those who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says and respond by repenting. 
turn around and come to Jesus and see afresh who Jesus is and the promise of victory that he graciously gives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your truthful words in these letters to your whole church. Father, we pray that we would hear your spirit today. That we would repent, that we would confess of the times where we fall short. But Father, we thank you that you loved us anyway, that you came and died for us anyway. And that we can see you more clearly now as our Lord, as our King, but also as our Saviour. Father, we repent of our short-sightedness. We repent of our own vision boards. And Father, we pray that we have a new vision, a vision of your victory a vision of your purity that you give to us, a vision of your security that you give to us, a vision of your confidence that you give us, a vision of your courage that you give us. May we have that as our vision board every day and may that form us, shape us, change us, to live for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.